Hello everyone and welcome to Pocket Thoughts. We hope you guys have been enjoying the new way we've been doing our podcast as well as the second part of our podcast where you take a dive into what an educating entrepreneur's meeting sounds like. On today's episode, we focus on starting. How easy is it to actually start a business? One of the biggest fears we hear about is people having no idea where to start and how they are horrified of the unknown when it comes to pursuing a passion and starting a business. We want this episode to give you all an insight on the simple ways to start exploring your side hobby and passion without having the fear of it scare you away. Enjoy the episode, and don't forget to take a listen to our latest Educating Entrepreneurs meeting coming up after this. Enjoy your week. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Pocket Thoughts Podcast. We're happy to have you. This week, we are going to touch on, number one, how easy it actually is to start a business. And that's actually kind of the opposite of what most people would say. You know, everyone fears starting a business. They're scared of the failure. They're scared of the investment of time, investment of money, their inability to perform. But we kind of want to just touch on in this episode why you shouldn't be so scared of starting a business and believe it or not how it's actually kind of easy to start service businesses retail businesses without putting a lot of money in right out of the gate so that's what we have today on the pocket thoughts podcast i think we'll start it out with brady reesecraft just because he's an absolute stud if he's willing to start and then we'll kind of go around the horn and then we'll dig in and dive deeper later on in this second hour, first hour, second half of the Pocket Thoughts podcast. My question is, what are we trying to accomplish here? Like, what are we, what are we answering? So I, I get what we're answering, but like, how do we want to, how do we want to structure this? Cause it, uh, like, I think we can go a thousand different ways with this. I kind of had the idea, or at least in my mind, I was thinking that, you know, like I just said, everyone is pretty fearful of this failure investment of time, money, blah, 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 right? And that's why people don't actually jump into companies. Mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of give people a couple of ideas of why or how they could start a company without all of those, like, I guess all of those risks, essentially. And really what I wanted to dive into, and I, I think really all of us are going to have different opinions, but... I'm going to be coming from a perspective of, you know, you can start retail, a retail store for dirt cheap, a service business for nothing. You can use design sprints to actually test a software company before you put a dollar in. And I think everyone's going to have a different perspective on how they believe it actually is simpler than it appears to start a company and how some of those fears, I guess, are a little overrated. Because really what we're trying to do here is we're trying to encourage people to pursue their passion and make a dime off of that passion so they can take it to the next level, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I think if people get over that first step, that first like you can just go for it, I think that's the first hurdle they have to get by. And I think we all have experience in that, I guess. Yeah. 
No, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I truthfully, I think mine's like kind of short and sweet. I might not have the best like take or, or like helpfulness on this, I guess, because like, I never had that, like, oh shit, like worried to start something. Um, cause like when, when we started, it was just like, let's just like start. And I think that's what we did before we even started, um, talking about like three timbers. I mean, this too, it was kind of like, I, I think what we have done in the past has just been like, I have this idea, let's go make it happen. Like, there's not a lot of like, oh, what if X goes wrong? What if Y goes wrong? It's like, all right, we have this idea. Like, it sounds exciting. Let's go test it. And I think you can do that pretty easily with like the two things that you said. I, I mean, my, my, my experience is in the service industry and in the service industry, especially in what we were doing um, with like landscaping type work, we literally needed no money to start. Like we could go out and go door to door. Um, I mean, we, we had printed out things, but we could have went door to door with like note cards that had our names and phone numbers on them at the start and literally just said like, here's what we do. Um, if you need anything, give us a call. And I think you can do that for, for any type of, of kind of service industry. Um, but I mean, the extent of what we had was we literally printed off sheets from your computer at home and maybe carried around like 40 sheets when we went and walked around the first houses, I remember. Um, and it wasn't detailed or anything. It was literally a word document that we made and that turned into obviously like a full fledged company, but I think it's just like getting to that point and that's where I've never had like the, Oh, like, should we do it? Should we not? Should we do it? Should we not? Like if you, if you're passionate about it and want to try it, like go test it out. And that's the other thing is I don't think, I think a lot of people do it backwards is like, Oh, I have this product. I have this amazing product. I'm going to go build a ton of it. Cause I know people are going to like it. Like before you spend any money on like 3d modeling or getting people to, to design a product or actually designing a product, you can build like, the MVP and it doesn't have to be functional, but you can build something literally built out of, out of cardboard or out of paper and say, if this is what it looked like or storyboard something, um, and say, if this is what it looked like, would you purchase this or how would you change this to, to make this kind of suit your needs? You can get feedback very quickly and probably easier on things like that, that you haven't invested a ton of time, a ton of money in because people aren't as well are like, are less thoughtful of shooting down your big expensive idea. So if you come to them with, I just designed this new thousand dollar phone, like, what do you think of it? People are a lot more hesitant to say like, wow, that sucks. Like you should have done this. Then if you go to them with like a storyboard or like something built on cardboard and say like, Hey, how, if you could design this, how would you design this to fit your needs? Um, so I think there's like huge value in, in building an MVP and going out and getting validation before jumping in and spending all the money, even though I think kind of like, the sex appeal or the idea of starting a company right away is like, I want to get in and build a product as fast as possible. But I think um, you can get a lot of that validation and you should get a lot of that validation before you ever spend a dime on anything. This is just an example from someone I know from Hamlin that they started their own clothing company. And I think just starting that off, like they put out a few different like feelers for like shirts and stuff and different clothing products that they wanted to put out. And they kind of got a feel for what people liked and what people didn't like. And they ran with what people like. They focused on their audience that they were trying to stick with. They weren't trying to branch out and try to get people that they knew wouldn't be interested and figure out what they want and kind of go out of their comfort zone or however you want to say it to like appeal to everyone. So they're focused on exactly who they wanted to focus on with who liked the product. And I think 
that worked out well for them. You see a lot of companies that do that, that kind of stick with what they know people like and kind of test things out after they become more successful and kind of branch off of that. Do you know if they did like pre-sales? So before like before designing, like creating like a, a design of the clothes and like images of it, but not actually like creating the clothes themselves, you know, if they did like pre-sales to help like go ahead and actually go manufacture the clothes or no? If you don't know, that's fine. I was just curious. I don't think so. I know that they would, they wouldn't even really like put out, like buy the shirts themselves. They would kind of put out those like drawings of the shirts. Like this is what they would look like. And I think after getting like generating spark from that, then I think they would um, kind of get an idea of what they needed to make from there. And I think I, that's really all I can remember what they did, but now they're kind of blowing it up more and, I think it was just them getting over that fear because there's so many people that have ideas to start their own clothing companies, but it's, I think it's pretty saturated, but if you can get kind of the buzz going and figure out what exactly people like and how you can make it fit for a certain niche of people, I think that can help you become a lot more successful rather than just making a company, buying all this product, and then being like, oh, crap, no one likes this. Brady, I thought you brought up a good point um, just recently with the, like, the pre-sale or whatever it is. Um, I know, Bobby, you talked about this um, quite a bit, is um, kind of getting, it helps you get an idea if people are actually interested in your product. So prior to actually producing the product, um, you kind of get a draft or some type of, sketch or outline or picture of what it may look like do some pre-orders and see if people would actually be interested in your product and that way you have you can have money coming in and uh, you don't have to have that upfront capital right away in order to make this stuff so you can use that that capital that you get that income that you get from those pre-orders to actually make this stuff you want and that'll kind of get you rolling I think some other points to make here don't start a business just to start a business. I think a lot of people just like the thought of being an entrepreneur. They just, they just want to be called an entrepreneur. Like, ah, I can be an entrepreneur. That's, that's awesome. I'll just start a business. What should I start? Well, I don't know. Well, this seems like it would be good. They don't even kind of go through the whole process of what am I actually interested in and what's going to make it long-term. And uh, if, you're, if you're not passionate about something, you're not going to make it long-term. That's, it's just going to be a short-term solution. Maybe not even a solution. It's going to be short-term. And um, I think uh, our ed or the uh, educated entrepreneurs um, kind of uh, design sprint kind of allows us to. Um, does that also find do find the passion? Is that in the beginning of that? Right? No. Okay. That's a different. Okay, that's separate. Anyways, EE has a a separate kind of find your passion kind of. Um, exercise and it's extremely useful so find your passion if you're if, if you're starting a business start a business you're not going to survive that's pretty much it and when we're talking the other point i want to make is when we're talking about fears um everyone has fears when they start a business but you can really mitigate those fears by identifying them and really addressing them and addressing why they are fears and logical solutions to these fears and a lot of people are just too scared of it to actually address it, that they'll kind of just push it away. If you really want to get over the hump of these of these uh, roadblocks or fears, you really have to come head on and really address these fears. And you can 
kind of find a way to mitigate them or just squash them totally. I think those are kind of some main points. But So what I'm about to say is going to be, I don't know, I'm going to touch on a lot of things Joey and Brandon and Brady already brought up. And then I'll also sprinkle in some new stuff too, I guess. So at the beginning of the episode, I kind of brought up that what we're trying to figure out here or really touch on is everyone has these fears that Joey was just talking about. They fear failure, investment of time, investment of money, inability to perform, and ultimately the fear of change. Now, I kind of believe these fears are a little bit overrated. And the reason why, I mean, I was kind of interested to see what the internet thought you needed to do to start a business. And I wanted to see if I should start being scared of running a company or starting one. And I looked up the two most popular sites when I looked up what are my steps to starting a business. And the first most popular site said the following. They explained this is what people needed to start a business. Number one, they need to conduct market research, then write a business plan, then fund their business, then pick their business location, choose a business structure, choose the business name, register the business, get the Fed and state IDs, apply licenses and permits, and lastly, open bank accounts. The second one said, and this is just ridiculous, I was just looking up simple steps, right, to start a business, and they said the following. Number one, you need to live like you're a college student. Number two, you need to work incredibly hard at your current job to make extra capital for your business. Number three, set a daunting schedule on a daily basis. Number four, ignore the temptation to really complain about your daunting schedule. Number five, you need to be exactly like Ebenezer Scrooge. You need to save every dollar you've ever made. And number six, you need to keep your full-time job longer than you want. I read those two articles and I just sat there like, holy crap, I, I'd be scared to start a business too. And frankly, I personally don't believe that's how any human being in the world should start their business or else they will not do well. Number one, just universally, no one uses business plans anymore. They just don't. I mean, maybe if you want to think through your company a little more, use a business plan. But it's really not that important. So if you don't know how to write one, don't worry about it. Number two, most of that stuff should be done after everything Joey, Brady, and Brandon just brought up. So when I started to think about it, I started to think, you know, I think it would be better to just talk about a couple of industries really quick. And Brady already touched on it, Brandon already touched on it, and Joey did. But I'm just going to circle back. You know... If you're passionate, you're really passionate about starting something in the service industry, retail, or technology, which is most of the industries, there's a ton of other things like accounting and finance and blah, 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 but we'll just take those for now. If you're interested in those businesses, you legitimately don't need to pay a dime to start. And... You also don't need to be working on it 100 hours a week. Because you have to remember, we are encouraging you to pursue your passion. Therefore, if you pursue your passion for 5 or 10 hours a week, we believe you're going to be happier. And you're just slowly going to chip away at running a business. You don't need to do it all at once. So if you just think about the service industry, let's just start there. 
honestly, like Brady brought up, it's pretty darn simple to start a service business. From a standpoint of, you really, there aren't a lot of costs. The only thing you're going to risk is time. Like Brady brought up at the beginning, you can just go door to door to door and hand out little flyers. And when it comes to services, you know, there are so many free service websites out there that you can promote your business with. There's Angie's List. There's Thumbtack. I can't remember all of the things that we used to use too. But, oh, Home Advisor, that's a huge one. But it's just free. You get a bunch of jobs. On top of that, you can just promote your business on social media like crazy. Honestly, go to all of your friends, your family, say, this is what I'm doing. And please, like, give me a referral, recommend me to anyone, like, set up good referral programs, all free. Just takes time. Top of that, you know, you can just hang up flyers, like Brady said. You know, we can just print things off for relatively cheap, go to your coffee shop, throw it on the wall, and you're probably going to get a phone call. I'm not going to say you're going to get a phone call day one, but over the next couple weeks, you're going to get a phone call. And frankly, if you're working a full-time job, you're not hard-pressed to get this thing going. So take your time, enjoy it, pursue the passion, and have some fun. So one more thing off the service business, I guess, before I move on, is don't buy any of your equipment. Don't buy any of your stuff that you need to run the business until you line up your first client. Like, there's no reason. If you're going into mowing, don't go buy a bunch of mowers before you start getting clients. doesn't make any sense. You have the ability to pre-sell everything, which is huge. So I think the other thing that Brandon just brought up, you know, if we jump into retail, a lot of people are interested in retail. Pre-sell everything. You know, there is no better way to prove that your product is worth pursuing than pre-selling it and having people sign up to buy that product. You know, an example is I ran a company called MerchSphere, and it was a marketing company for bands and whatever. But essentially, we were just making a ton of product. We were designing a ton of product every day, and we were pushing it to the site. And we had this rule that we would purchase that product as soon as 20 people actually bought it. When 20 people bought it within, a, I think we had a 90 day, we'd have it on the site for 90 days. If someone bought it within 90 days, 20 people, then we would actually go to whatever it might be, Alibaba, something in-house, whatever it was, and we would make the product. So that's really, really important. Pre-sell the heck out of it. It's just, it makes it so you're not at risk at all when running a retail company. The other thing is, you know, you can design a lot of stuff and just like the other retail company, you can push it to family, friends, social media, anything. And really the last thing with retail is make a website. Wix is free. It doesn't have to be the most insane website in the world, but Wix is gonna give you a beautiful platform that you can throw some shirts on, some pants on, or anything else you wanna sell. And you can test all of this very quickly. If you're thinking about retail or service to this point, those are things that you should start tomorrow and you should have no stress starting it. And if you do, it's just, it's stupid. The third thing in tech, I think is a little different, but at the same time, it really isn't. It just seems like it's a scary concept to explore. So, you know, we're going to touch on in our course, the design sprint. 
that Joey brought up and Brady brought up. And, you know, when you're running, when you go into tech, it's going to cost you some money. Realistically, like, you need the funds if you don't know how to develop your own stuff, or you need the partners. So, before you even explore that, you need to go through the design sprint. Design sprint involves five phases. Empathy interviews, brainstorming, converging, which is deciding, prototyping, and testing. So essentially what you're going to do is you're going to go out and you're going to meet with your target audience. So people you're actually interested in. Like people you're interested in designing a product for. And you're going to get their feedback. You're going to hear their stories. That's all you're doing. You're not looking at testing your product right now. You're just finding out what their pain points are in that space that you're exploring. From there, you're going to brainstorm ideas. Now, you might already have a really good idea, but you want to create extra features to build on your product. Off of that, you're going to converge or decide. You're going to decide what idea you should move forward with. Then you're going to prototype. You know, I think Joey brought it up. Oh, Brady did that you can have a really low fidelity prototype. It can be a piece of paper. It can be uh, it can be anything. It doesn't matter. You want it to be low fidelity so people aren't scared to give you feedback. And then you're going to go out and you're going to test it. You're going to test it with your target audience to find out what people liked and disliked about your product. So once you go through this process, you know, we might touch on it in another podcast because, well, frankly, I think it's the most important thing to starting a business. But you can also find it in our course, which you should be excited about. We're pretty pumped about the design sprint section. Um, Once you get to that that point, that part in your process, you know, I think it's really important for anyone interested in tech to take a step back and realize if this is my passion, I should find partners to make this thing happen. Because so many people don't move forward with their idea that could work because they don't want to give up a percentage of their company or they don't have the ability to pay for it. And you know, here's the thing. If you don't have the money to pay for a new product to be designed, give up some of your company to create partners. If you own 100% of nothing, it's still nothing. So go out, find someone that's good at development, find someone that's good at backend, find someone that's good at whatever you need, AI, whatever it is and give them the opportunity to buy in. Give them 30% of the company. Give them 20, give them 10. It doesn't matter because you need them to get your idea off the ground. So that also costs you nothing but time and a little research. The last thing that I wanna say in software, you know, have someone develop your software, but then also realize that you have the ability to create functioning wireframes and you have the ability to essentially make your exact design in WordPress but it would just be dummy down. But make sure you create a product that's dummy down and start selling it. Because while there's development build, so many people in software don't sell a thing. And that's a huge mistake because you could be funding your development or funding your future growth by selling your proof of concept. So there's so much stuff that we could get into, but the truth is you should be doing all of these things without risking a penny. You should be doing all of these things and be able to do all these things while working your full-time job. And the thing is, once you get to that point, just like we're doing in educating entrepreneurs, once you get to the point where you start having your first sale and you start actually moving product, then you can make your bank accounts. Then you can file for your IDs, all that good stuff. 
don't listen necessarily, in my opinion, to what the web says, or else it's going to freak you out, number one. And number two, you're just not going to build something very great. I agree with that. I mean, the only thing that, that I have to not even build off that, but I just like, I, I want to stress that probably has been stressed enough already, but do as much and everything that you can without, without having to spend any money. Like you're, that's to me, that's like what your goal should be. And that's not to say like, Oh, if you have an opportunity to, to make sales or, or, um, um, get customers or whatever to, to hold off on the money, to not invest in, in your company or your product. But there is so much that, that you can do. And I, I think this is something that people don't realize without spending a dollar, like, like you like everyone has said here. Um, and I think you should take that as far as you possibly can, like do everything you can validate, develop, um, make a team. You can do all that without having to ever spend a dime. I think that that should be, especially if you're strapped on cash, um, your goal should be do as much as you can without having to spend any money on it. Cause there there's, I think the lean startup is, is definitely a way to go, especially if you're just starting out or, or kind of testing the waters. I was actually going to say on top of that, I think a lot of people are super scared of this idea of time, right? Like we just touched on, and we touched on it earlier. If you're not pursuing your passion, don't jump into starting a business. When you're actually pursuing your passion, don't go and pursue it in a way that you think you need to make 60, 80, $100,000 a year off of it to start. Because think about it. Most of you guys are probably in a position where you are currently working a full-time job or a part-time job and you're living just fine. And for all of you that aren't, I'm sorry to put you in that category and you can reach out and we can give you other strategies. But, you know, if you are doing just fine and you're working a full-time job, think about it like this. If you could sit there for an extra 10 hours a week and build this company, let's say you're going to build an online retail store because it's your passion and you love it and you just want to work on it. You know, you could work on it every night and feel that joy and pride of creating something. And on top of that, if you only make an extra $1,000 a month or 2000 bucks a month, think of how potentially that 1000 or $2,000 could change your life. Like every year, maybe that's an extra big trip. Maybe that's getting that extra vehicle after a couple of years. It doesn't matter. It could just be a small amount that's added to your life, but you're also going to feel this fulfillment of building something. And this apex in your life of essentially this incredible amount of joy. I don't think there's a greater high realistically. And the ability to do something like that without risking a penny. And it's just a little time that you should enjoy. You should just, and it's a shame that you're not doing it in this moment. Like realistically, I, I hope you turn this podcast off before we finish and just start doing it. Because it's that simple. And, you know, I think all of us have some type of experience in it. You know, we brought it up with Three Timbers. We, we were able to start a real company at the age of 15. If you're listening and you're 20, 22, 30, 40, you have the ability to start a company if a bunch of 15-year-olds that had no idea what they were doing could do it. As long as you focus on what you would love and focus on providing value you'll be just fine. I think that's actually a really interesting point because I think there's a little bit of a give take there, right? Because like when we were 15, and I guess I can only speak for myself, but um, I, I'm guessing most most people are in this situation, but 
when we were 15, what we had abundance of was time. What we had none of was money. And so we were just like, all right, let's go like figure this out and we'll do what we have with what we've got. And we did more than okay when we were 15 years old going out and um, not only making customers, but retaining customers, making sales, doing all the transactions, um, which we obviously could have done better, but um, getting out and literally doing all of those things without ever having a job, again, speaking for myself. And then when you get into 20, 25, 30, 40, whatever, I think it's the opposite. I think now you probably do, hopefully, um, you're in a place where you have more of the monetary resources to get things off the ground in less time. So I think that might be where some of the, not stigma, but people's action comes in to say like, oh, if I can save some time, I'm just going to go print off like $2,000 worth of flyers. I'm going to outsource some guy to like develop this device so I don't have to work on doing it. And I'll just like throw five grand to the wind so that I don't have to spend any time doing it because it's like, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. So I'll sacrifice the money. And I think there's like the two ends of that spectrum, whether you're looking at like the young age or the older age. Um, and just because you're at that, that age where you think you don't have time. I mean, we've talked about this at other times, but I would definitely push for put the time in yourself and don't, there's not money that you need to spend, even if you do have the funds to do it right away. So with this successful uh, landscaping company that you guys had with uh, not all of your friends involved, what do you think you guys did that separated you from all the other landscaping companies that were out there where you guys cheaper in what you did or was it just the service that you brought and I think telling letting people know how they could separate themselves I think would be pretty helpful in any industry that they're getting into I mean I think our biggest value add is we were kids you think so I think we did have differentiating factors at the beginning at the age of 15 yeah 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 I no, I see I think through and I think through and through we did have differentiating factors but I, I'd like to hear your take on it first yeah, so I think the first couple of sales we ever had, like Joey and I before Brady came along, you know, we just had a summer of a couple sales where it was just a couple kids saying, hey, we need a summer job. But what changed was, you know, we really focused on the customer and we focused on creating value in that person's life, even if it was detrimental to us. And Brady and I talked about this earlier in the week. You know, even if we were going to lose money on a customer, we were still focused on doing our best work. And I think that was very visible and very apparent to each of our customers. On top of that, they knew that we were more than just landscape guys. We were friends. You know, like we had clients that would reach out to Brady and say, hey, will you coach my kid in hockey you know, I had clients want to sit down for breakfast or lunch and just talk. And it was just because, you know, every single time we met with one of them, we didn't just meet with them quickly about business. We would talk to them for 30, 40, 60, 90 minutes at a time, just about their life, about how we could help them and what they loved and what they pursued and what we could learn from them. And that was our value add. It wasn't even our landscaping skills. I mean, anyone can do landscaping. No offense to anyone that thinks it's this crazy skill. Just like a lot of service industries, I mean, a lot of service businesses, there's a lot of things out there that you don't necessarily have to be the most skilled person in the world to create an incredible company. It can be all built off of your values. It can all be built off of just straight up your passion. I mean, I think 
they could see that we were genuinely passionate about what we did. And that's what made us different. Lawnmower Joe that came in and said, hey, I want to mow your lawn really quick. Hurry up. I want to get out really quick. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be your friend. I want to send you a bill and then we're done. So sorry, Joe. Yeah, Joe, take it easy. Gosh. (laughs) But like, that's where it was different. That's at least that's what I believe made us very different. 100% 100% agree. So I, 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 a thousand percent. So you hit every single topic that I was going to say is that our actual service itself, I don't think was any differentiated factor. Like, yeah, we cared about what we did and we were like passionate about what we did, but we were passionate about it towards the customer or not. You put 50 teams to go mulch. It's going to be a tough to discriminate between each one of them or, or mow your lawn. But I think what you said, what was the important one was that both on the front end, um, back end, or like during it, we would spend that time with the customer. So we had times like when I don't even think that we got customers right off the bat when people were like, oh no, we don't need your services. And we would stand and talk to them for two hours about like what their kids were doing, what they were doing. And then lo and behold, a month down the road, we get a call from them and they end up being our being a customer. And I think like a lot of that is just catered to showing that you actually care about the customer. Cause we had that on both sides where we'd be finishing up projects and someone would come home and we'd be standing in the dark in someone's driveway for two hours just talking about um, nothing related to the job. But I think like that that focus on the customer is what a lot of other services didn't provide. Like I think they provided the same the same or equal or even better um, actual like mowing or, or landscaping or whatever. But um, a lot of the times they would never meet who actually came into the lawn. Like they didn't know who was taking care of their lawn. They didn't know like what what they were about, what their story was. And I think that was one thing that I will say after we walked up to what three, four, five hundred houses, like you figure out your story pretty quick, um, and you have a good story to tell after you, after you start doing that for a couple of years. So I 100% agree that it, it was not our services, but it was our focus on the customer and and everything involved with that. I agree with you guys. Um, I'm curious to hear what you think about this take. So like I said, I do agree that it was not about our services because a lot of the time they're probably pretty piss poor jobs, um, especially when we didn't know what we were doing right away. And we had to look up videos on YouTube of how to do things like cut down trees, for example, that was probably not our best call. But I think that our differentiating factor right away was the fact that we were going to houses that were on this on the lake that Bobby lives on. And people knew the Mason family on the lake. And so we kind of had that trust already with the potential customer because of the fact that they kind of already knew us. Well, they not us, but they knew the family that Bobby came from. And so I think initially that was huge because we did target the lake for sure. And I think that was a really smart move because then from there we could expand with references and whatnot. Totally agree long-term wise, it was 100% our focus on the clientele. I agree with that. I think that was a strong take. And I think, you know, really that applies to every human being that's starting a company. You know, find your target. Like, even if it's in service, there are so many amazing ways to target customers. You know, when we were running landscaping, our we were definitely targeting high-end customers. So these are people that were on lakes with $2 million plus dollar homes, 
And, you know, at one point we had a big enough company that it wasn't sustainable going door to door. So we legitimately, we had to send mailers, but we weren't going to just send mailers to every human being. And this is another free thing that everyone can start doing. You know, most counties, if your county is big enough, they have a GIS map. You can find it at your county, whatever your county name is, dot com backslash GIS map, or just look it up. And all of these GIS maps are essentially free. And you can look at an area that you're interested in sending flyers to, find out how much that house is worth, find out what they're paying in taxes, find out who that person is, like what's their name, stuff like that, and create very targeted messages to those people. So like, that's a free thing you can do. I highly recommend it. There was a point where we didn't even go to doors anymore. And we were just sending brochures one time a year at the beginning of the year, and it would get us business the whole summer. And we would send a brochure and then we would put a sticky note on top of that brochure and write a note to that specific individual because we knew the names of the people that lived in that house. And that was really important because they thought they knew us, just like what Joey brought up. The, way, the reason we did well at first is because they knew us and our ability to make it still feel like people knew us is what made us unique. And what allowed us to sustain this, I think, which is really important, is we had an insane amount of honesty and integrity in our company. And I would say that also made us significantly different than other landscaping companies. If there was a mistake, we're telling you about the mistake and we're sitting there all night to fix that mistake. We might not always do the greatest work the first time around, but no matter what, before we left, that work was going to be perfect. And that's what made us really special because they knew that they could always count on us. They knew that we were always going to send them a bill that probably always screwed us. That made us special. I mean, even to the point where, you know, when we were doing lake weeds and milfoil, you know, the DNR, they have certain rules on how many square feet you can pull. And so we were in lake weed removal, so we would have a diver go down under the water and pull lake weeds by hand, and we'd make it so people could swim off of their dock without worrying about lake weeds. So essentially, the DNR, that is, I don't know if there's DNR in every state, but Minnesota has DNR rules where you can only pull 2,500 square feet of lake weeds. And we would actually go to clients' homes, and they would say, hey, we want 10, 20, 30,000 square feet pulled. And we will legitimately look at them and be like, yeah, we're not interested in that business. You can go talk to Waterfront Restoration. They'll probably do it, but that's just illegal and we can't. We can come back in sections and do it, but we can't do it all at once. And, you know, believe it or not, because of that honesty and integrity, at first they were like, oh, well, we're not that interested in them because this is how much we want pulled. But most of them actually came back and called and had us do that for them. They trusted us to then do it right. And they trusted us to actually do it in a way that they wanted it done. So I think that's where we were really unique and special. I agree with that. I think you brought up really, really two really good points that I wanted to build on. The first was like having people either they do know you or ha having them feel like they know you. Um, I think that's really important. And I think that's what like a lot of very successful businesses are good at is that no matter like 
who the customer is, they make it feel like it's catered exactly to you and you know who it is. Like even like massive, like, like Nike companies, like they do such a good job of like catering to such a good audience. And you see like commercials or you see like the clothes and you're like, Oh, I could see my, like, that's me. That's that, that's the person that like they're catering to is me. And I think that we were really good at that. Like you said. Um, and I, I think one thing that we did really well was like you utilizing your resources. So we didn't have to pay to, to market our stuff. We didn't have to pay to do any of that. We literally went online and looked up names to say like, Hey, we'd love to do your work. We wrote like one, not even a sentence on a sticky note and would send that to people. And I think that that gave them the, like the comfort, comfort and the feeling of like, Oh, these are people behind this, not just like some random generated, um, like ad or marketing shot out to me. Um, so I think that was like one huge thing is, um, like utilizing your resources and catering it to the people that you're sending it to. Uh, truthfully, I think we would have just sent out like our flyers without any correspondence on them. I think we'd get half or a quarter of the customers that we did. Um, but we would literally put first and last name of everybody that we were reaching out to on the list specific to their property too. Like if they lived on a lake, like, Oh, we could help you with your lakeshore stuff. If they didn't live on a lake, like, Oh, we could help with your like landscaping needs. I'm kind of catering that specific to them so that someone not living on a lake isn't getting a lakeshore brochure and focusing on that. Um, so, so that's one point that I thought was really good. The second one was like the integrity that you talked about. And I think that was one thing that I would urge every company or startup to do and not to, not to put yourself in danger or step out of like, if you're, if you're untrained in something, like don't do anything stupid, but like, I think we got so much of our business and grew, grew like our knowledge base and what we knew how to do through people asking like, Hey, would you do this? And we'd be like, I have no idea how to do that and figure it out. And, and at like what Bobby said, like at the cost of our own, our own company, a lot of the time, like. I mean, we, we destroyed an entire deck and had to rebuild it with our own money, like lost a ton of money on, on the project. Um, there are other ones where we would pitch like a, uh, an estimated cost and we had no idea what we were getting into. So we ended up going 500, a thousand, two thousand $2,000 over that and we lose money on it. But I think what we were very upfront with was like the job's going to get done regardless of like how long it takes and like, here's our estimates, but, or how many people it's going to take. Um, it's always going to get done. And we had like, I know we had a couple, especially like J July 4th deadlines where we'd be working 16, 18 hours for two weeks to get to all the people that said like, Oh, my family's coming in. I need this done. I think the safe bet would have been to say like, Oh, we only have 10 people. Like there's no way we can make that happen. And I think the opposite was just like, yeah, like if you need it done, we'll make sure it gets done. And like being very upfront and honest and sticking to our guns of like, no matter what, at the end of the day, like the project's going to get done and we'll make sure that it's done. Right. Um, did get us a long way. What a great episode that was. Very informative. A lot of good personal stories we had. I hope you guys got a lot out of that because I know I did. And if you're going to start your own business, you should use educatingentrepreneurs.com. So if you guys want to hear more, check out our other podcasts. We've got a lot of other good content out there. Check out our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. You'll find everything there. Let us know how we're doing let us know if you guys have any questions we'll throw out a instagram post twitter whatever it's going to be asking you guys what you guys want to hear us talk about the next time so get involved in that and let us know and have a great week <laughs>